If I haven't got to meet you yet, my name's John Whitenack. Um, I'm returning back after the very, very generous gift from this congregation of a month of sabbatical. And um, I cannot say thank you enough, church. It is so good to come back. Um, I have never felt more ready for ministry in my life. Um, I was sharing with my wife. I graduated on a Friday from high school, started work in a church on Monday. And um, every time I've, I've switched jobs, or something, I mean, it's just been immediate. And so this time of just rest um, has been so, so good. And so um, I cannot say thank you enough. Um, it's been time to spend with Reluca's family, her extended family, and it was so good. Um, we met a new niece and a new nephew we hadn't got to see yet, um, a new sister-in-law, and uh, it was just a wonderful time together to um, enjoy each other. It was also time to read and reflect, and, and some of you who know me will be amazed and shocked and awe. I finally use, learned to use an e-reader and not hate it. Um, I, I have... I have Managed to bar myself from paper for a month um, just from the sheer weight of things trying to travel across uh, the continents. And uh, so I, I feel very accomplished. If I, if I did anything, that was a big one. But it was also time to just spiritually recharge, um, to walk with Christ, um, not to prepare for this or prepare for that, but just to be with Jesus. And it was so, so good. Um, I cannot tell you how important it was to me and how much more now that I have experienced it, um, I really truly believe it is important for all our pastors and elders to take times of rest. And so let me encourage you. I hope you will see I'll come back better and ready and more able to serve you. Um, I know some of you might say, well, I wish I got a sabbatical at my job, and I wish you did too. You would be better when you come back. Um, but one of the reasons that it's particularly important for pastors to take a sabbatical is so that we come back ready to bear the burdens that you have. Um, we come back ready to, to sit and cry with you, to sit and weep with you, to sit and rejoice with you on those good times, and to, to walk with you through the dark times of life particularly, as that is hard and heavy. Um, and sometimes we need a rest from that. But I will say... I want to do that with you. And if there's ever anything I or any of the other pastor's elders can do to walk with you through those times, please, please let us know. We want to be here not, not just for the pretty shiny time when we you know, get our bow ties on for Sunday morning. We're here for life. We're doing life together and walking with Christ together. And we want to do that better and better and better. So Pastor Joe is uh, in Georgia this morning. He is probably recovering after a long day at Six Flags yesterday uh, with his girls. So um, be praying for them. They're coming back uh, tomorrow and um, we'll be getting obviously ready for school and all that. So he's just taking a quick break before school kicks up. And so we are going to continue and get back after a three-week hiatus um, to 1 Samuel. So one of the things our church does, if you've been here for the summer, you might not believe us, but we really do, uh, is walk through books of the Bible just straight through. We open up a book and we go till we're done, and usually that's a couple years. And uh, this is going to be that case. We're going to go through 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, and it'll, it'll take us about a year and a half, two years. But today we are in 1 Samuel chapter 8. We're going to go through the whole text. It's fairly short. 
uh, and, and it's a story, and it's going to flow. So let me kind of get everybody caught up, because I know some of you uh, have been in and out just as I have, and uh, that way we're all on the same page. So Samuel is a priest. He, he leads in the worship of God, but he is also the last judge. And a judge is is what we think of as a judge. They, they were to help justice prevail. They were to decide on matters where there was confusion. But they were more than that. They were a leader of the people. So this was kind of a, a judge would come up when there was a need. If someone was attacking, if there was a great spiritual issue, a judge would come up and lead the people. And so Samuel was the last of these judges. And Samuel was born, he was a miraculous birth. His mother was barren um, for decades. And um, when she was older, the Lord allowed her to become pregnant after great prayer and great um, striving before the Lord and her finally being satisfied with Jesus being enough, with God being enough. God says, now I can bless you with everything else. And she, he gave her a son. And she said, no, God, you, you have given me enough. This son is yours. And so from his earliest age, Hannah prepared her son to serve God and serve the people of God. And so we, we see some strivings and some stirrings, and the people are struggling. They're in a time of great political upheaval. And things get worse. Samuel's old. His life is coming to an end. And we pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. We're just going to read through this text today, and I'm going to stop at a few moments and make comment. So this is not going to be kind of the typical sermon, point A, point B. Someone asked because they're going to help with something in the nursery. What's your last point? I'm like, I don't know if I have a point. So literarily, this will probably not be the greatest, but I think it's faithful to the text. So let's get into um, 1 Samuel chapter 8. It says, when Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Hoel, or Joel. The name of his second was Abiah. And they were judges in Be'er Shavah. And his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Now, we, we all know and have seen wonderful, lovely uh, times of nepotism. Uh, as a matter of fact, as a Southern Baptist convention, we are, we are full of nepotism and good old boy. And my son wrote a book, so we're going to publish it, that has come to great spiritual harm for us. And it has come to bite us on the backside many times. But this is the entire nation. And not just in the spiritual side. These guys were over the political side too. And so Samuel puts his sons, the, the ones he would most trust his very kids in charge as he ages. And his sons decide rather than following God, rather than helping the people and being servants, they're going to gain for this. Uh, by the way, does this sound anywhere vaguely familiar to maybe politics today? Just, just for the, I mean, you know, things don't go away, right? They, they just seem to come around again and again. But here's the heartbreaking part. Samuel, who was a judge, his kids were false judges, Samuel, who was a judge, did nothing about it. He was more concerned with his children being successful and with them being happy than with them being godly and the nation of God being led well. 
By the way, what choices are we making today that do the same thing? That teach our kids that academics or college choice or sports or activities is more important than salvation and discipleship? Ask it this way. What would I let my kids skip worship for? Does that have eternal worth? Does your family's eternity suffer because of the choices we're making on a daily basis? But back to the text. Verse number four. So the people respond. Then all the elders, those are the leaders, don't think elders in a church necessarily, although they were fulfilled a similar role. These were people who were leading the, the country. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old. Great green right there, right? That's exactly how you want everyone to, Hey, you're old. Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But this thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. So this is the crux. This is kind of that point in Samuel where, where the book's named Samuel, right? Samuel's not in most of the book. This is the beginning and there's this transition from judges to kings. The kings are coming, all right? And There's lots of them, and most of them are rotten. But there's this transition point here where Israel comes to Samuel and says, this judge thing is not working out. By the way, whose fault was that? In a lot of ways, Samuel's. They come to him and says, we want a king like all the nations. Now, we're going to see over the next several, several months, the problem was not that they wanted a king. The book is set up, and it's showing us they were headed toward a king. That was the whole plan. Even way back in the laws, there are laws about what to do when there's a king. That kind of assumes there's going to be a king, right? The problem wasn't so much Israel wanted a king. The problem is they wanted a king. Catch this right back in verse 4. Look back, I mean, because it's so, so important. Uh, Excuse me, verse 5. Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king. If that was a period right there, we'd be okay. It says, appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. See, Israel's desire wasn't for the godly king who would come. You see, our, our God is our king. Ultimately, our citizenship, even today, is not just here in the United States. It's a bigger kingdom, a kingdom whose builder and maker is God, as the writer of Hebrews puts it. As Abraham looked forward to a city whose foundations were not here on this earth, another place in scriptures puts it. Our citizenship is there and our king is Jesus. The problem is not having a king. The problem is who they wanted to be king. They wanted a king like all the other nations. Remember that phrase, it's going to come back over and over again in this passage. They were captivated by the grass on the other side of the fence. Have y'all ever seen cows doing this? Um, I, I, was, I laughed because we, we used to live um, off Rock Springs Road, so we'd take Rocky Fork out to Rock Springs, and as you would drive down, it's, it's fairly hilly and rocky in there, and there's a, there is a rock spring. There's a little spring that runs along there. And most of that spring is fenced off and is pasture land for cows. It's too rocky, too, too steep, too rough um, to farm. 
And so there's cows all through there, everywhere they haven't built a subdivision. And inevitably, every time I was driving home, I would see these cows who were on the side of the fence as the stream. In other words, they're where the water is, they're where the grass is growing, sticking their heads through a barbed wire fence to eat the weeds along the side of the road. They just had this incessant, it's got to be better where I can't go. They've told me I can't go there, so it's got to be better. Um, Every parent knows. Every parent knows. The second you say to your kids, don't do that, what's the one thing they want to do? Do that. Don't go there. They're wanting to go there. I mean, there is a reason people invented baby gates, right? I mean, there is just something incessant in us. We want what we don't have. I always think about this at restaurants. When you're sitting down and you see the waiter walking through, ooh, I wish I'd ordered that. Ooh, y'all know what I'm talking about? This is what the people were doing. They were looking over there. You know, what would have been Jordan? What would have been Egypt? What would have been Lebanon, Syria? Say, man, they got this king and it is so good over there. We want what they have. We want it easy. We want security. We want safety. We want money. We want ease. We want better food, better gardens, better this. We want all that they had. They wanted a king like the other nations. But the reality to these kings like the other nations is it carried a spiritual connotation. Because Egypt's king was worshipped as the sun deity. The people in what is now Jordan worshipped every deity known to humankind. The people of Syria and Lebanon worshipped sea gods and war gods. These deities were all connected to the rule of the kings. And Egypt said, we want They were willing to sacrifice their relationship to God, to trust in a government, to solve their problems and bring them ease, even if it meant forsaking the God who had brought them out of slavery. We want a king like all the other nations. And Samuel is broken hearted because he saw they wanted a false heaven and were using a false savior, a king, to get there. So look back with me. Get back to 1 Samuel 8 here. We're going to start in verse 6 again. Read that again. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. Praise God, he at least went to the right spot. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. By the way, there's an important lesson here. Bible study teachers, community group leaders, counselors, elders, When people stray, they're rejecting God, not you. Take heart. Keep faithful and love and beg them to turn back to God. Don't take it personal. Don't take it personal. By the way, that's pretty good advice for work and stuff like that. When somebody's mad at you, it's usually not about you. We need to remember this. Listen to what God's advice to Samuel was. But they have rejected me from being king over them. Do you see the spiritual problem? God was their king, and they said, no, we want another king, like all the other nations. Verse 8, according to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, 
forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall rule over them. This is heartbreaking. Because God says, okay, they've tested me over and over and over. They've said, we want this, we want this, we want this. Instead of, we want you, God, we want you, God. They've said immediately after, they build an idol and say, this is the God who brought us out of Egypt. God comes down and smashes the idol, by the way. Kind of correcting a little theology with a you know, hammer. But they do this over and over and over. And just as Romans 1 says of people who turn this way and that, God gives them over to their desires. Parents, have you ever disciplined your kids by letting them have what they want? Sometimes kids discipline themselves. Have you all ever noticed that? When they sneak in and eat the 10 ice cream cones, they learn, don't eat 10 ice cream cones. It's going to come back, to Right? We do it all the time. And sometimes in God in His gracious fathering lets us have exactly what we want. He turns us over to our desires. It's discipline. For those who don't know Christ, it can be judgment. Because they may never come back. So let me warn you, church family, pay attention to this. When you think, oh, it's just this once. Or it's just this one little sin and you knowingly walk and open the door. Sin will take you farther than you ever think it will. And it will grab you harder than you ever thought possible. Don't open those doors. Don't go that direction. Because the discipline may come. And the discipline may be so harsh that God gives you exactly what you want. And that's what he did here. Let's continue reading on. Verse 10. So here's where Samuel tells the people. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, There will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifty and some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and equip and the equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to your servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his servants. He will take your male and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to work. He will take a tenth of your flock and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you on that day. Sometimes what we want is the worst thing in the world. And what they wanted was a government to take care of them. They weren't content with God being their king. 
They wanted all the things the other nations had. You know, all those fun, awesome things like taxes and big government and the rich getting richer at the poor's expense and military security that costs huge amounts of money and military overreach that takes over. You see, it's the same issues we have today. Have y'all looked at the political climate? The volatility of someone says one little political statement. Ooh, you need a bulletproof vest, riot gear, whichever side. This isn't this side or that. We are so desperate for someone to save us. We are so desperate for our problems to be solved. And I'm not saying Republican problems or Democrat problems. It's not the, party, the problem that we have a two-party system or American problems or term limit problems or media problems, military problems, social service problems. Our problems are looking to a false savior. Because we want the false heaven of health and wealth and ease and joy and happiness. You see, these people are doing exactly what we do. That's going to make me happy. I want what all those other people have. And they thought a government could do it. You see, they had a false heaven and were looking for a false Savior to get them there. And today, we have false hope in riches and wealth and academics and sports and popularity, spouses, homes, and our American system. It's not that any of these things are bad, but they're a lousy heaven. And we try to use all sorts of false saviors to get there. So church family, we got to stop wanting what all the other nations have. We have a king. And he's a good king. He's a kind king. He is a king who came down from heaven to this earth to die for our sins and to live the perfect righteous life we couldn't do on our own. We have enough. As a matter of fact, we have everything in Christ but we keep looking out. That grass just looks so much greener over there. We put our hope in a false Savior to get us to a false heaven. So what do the people do? I mean, I think you can guess from kind of how the sermon's been going so far. Verse 19. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, No! But there shall be a king over us. Do you hear the defiance? That we also may be like all the nations. And that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Do you hear the hope there? He's going to fight our battles. We live in a nation... And a time. It's not just our nation. It's all around the world. It's so funny. When, when I've been to Central Asia, you know who they're scared of? Afghanistan and Pakistan and all those places. And you know where they live? 
right by Afghanistan and Pakistan. All the, like, they have the exact same fears we do. I went to Romania, and it was so funny to hear the snippets they get of our news media. I mean, with the whole like printable gun thing, whatever you're, it doesn't matter whatever side you're on. Like, they truly thought America was going to explode when that came out. All right? I mean, it was like, y'all can't go home. <laughs> There's going to be printable guns everywhere. Whatever your side is, that, we know that's not the case. It's not, yeah, I don't know if it's good or bad or whatever. But we all have these fears. I don't care if you're American, Romanian, Italian, Central Asian. We're scared of the same things. We want to be safe. We have all different views on how to get there. But we want to be safe. And they wanted someone to make them safe. They wanted a king. Because, you know, kings do all the work themselves, right? That king wasn't going to recruit an army. He was going to fight for them. That king wasn't going to really tax them. He'd have lots of money himself. And that king, he, he would get them exactly what they wanted because every single person wanted the exact same thing, right? Do you see the foolishness of this? Now look at your own heart. That thing that you so desperately want that's going to make you happy. Maybe it's a spouse that you don't have. Maybe it's your kids behaving a certain way. Maybe it's them getting a certain level of grade. Maybe it's the new job, the new house, paying off the mortgage, the new car, the new business. All those things have big promises. And it's not that any of them are bad. There was a famous preacher who said it this way, when good things become God things, that's a bad thing. When good things become God things, that's a bad thing. So I hope you're getting the point. It's not the king, it's the king like all the other nations. It's the desire to escape the hard work, the suffering, the sacrifices of this life. It's that we want our heaven now. It's that we would be okay with heaven without Jesus. We don't want the restrictions that God has said make things actually work right. We, we ignore Matthew 7, 13 through 14 that says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many, but the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Remember back to that scripture I read earlier, Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 15. God knew this was a desire of our heart because he said this, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and gives you with great good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. When you eat and are full. What's the next word? Take care. When you have what you want, you are in incredible spiritual danger. You're on the precipice waiting to take that next step and fall. Because suddenly the gifts start to overshadow the giver 
suddenly. It's just as he said here. You shall not go after the other gods, the gods of the people who are all around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. And what do we see 150 years later? Give us a king like all the other nations. I mean, just catch the wording of this. It's so ironic in ours. You shall not go after the gods, the gods of the people who are all around you. Give us a king just like all the other nations. Church family, we can be a glutton for the good things of God. And we can miss God Himself in the midst. In our desire for security against terrorists and crazy dictators and countries with nukes, I mean big chariots, they wanted government to take care of their fears and troubles for them. They wanted comfort and to avoid suffering at all cost, even losing their soul. In the middle of a big scary world, who do we trust? I want to talk to you about something that was my biggest takeaway from the sabbatical. I I was free of all work responsibilities. I sent an email in a month. Some of y'all know me and know how I like email. I sent one, and it was because they were updating the air conditioning system, and I didn't know if everybody else would get that email, and it was all digital. I'm like, you know, y'all probably going to get mad at me if I don't send this forward, and y'all are sitting here in 90-degree heat with with no AC. So I sent that one, and it was a forward with all that relief of responsibility, two times. I was taken out by discouragement and anxiety. I didn't have all the stresses and the norms and the the hardships. I was just, it's like the darkness surrounded me. It happens a lot, unfortunately. Many of you have suffered through depression, anxiety. Y'all know what it's like. That thing that always takes me down, try it again. Even when I had everything I needed. Even when there was no stress, no problems. I was sitting in these gorgeous mountains. Literally on a hammock one time. It was nothing significant. It's just my mind and my heart got overcome. No matter how much I fought, the darkness seemed to creep all around, surrounding. When a month I was truly resting, I had no responsibilities in the most beautiful place, some of the most beautiful places in earth. This, this melancholy, this depression, the pain, whatever it might be, anxiety, I can tell you now, it was nothing but the gift of God. It was His precious, gentle, kind care for my soul. That's what the darkness was. What seemed so dark to me was light to God. I hated it. I didn't like it. I wanted out. It felt like a curse, not a gift. But in the darkness is where I saw the light of Christ shining most brightly. It wasn't a light that made me feel warm and cuddly. We all like those. It was a light that I faithed in despite my feelings. 
that I knew was reality despite what I could see or feel. And it allowed me to suffer and suffer well and come out praising Christ Jesus. I learned that the goal is not a numb ease and a mind and a heart who have no stress. The goal is Christ and to love Him and trust Him in the middle of it. I I want you to hear James that Hannah read so beautifully before. Count it all joy, my brothers and and my sisters, when you meet various trials. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Those of us who have kids, they get so worked up about tests. Have you, have you, y'all know what I mean? I mean, to me, it's like, that's a spelling test. They either got it or they didn't. And if they didn't, we'll work on it next week. I've learned something as a parent. But oh, it's a big deal. And we do that all through our own life. When God puts the test forth, when it comes, whether it's an emotional, spiritual heaviness and weight, like I suffer, whether it's health that some of you suffer, whether it's a spouse who doesn't know the Lord and is a struggle to live with, whether it's a child who's strained. I don't know what it might be. I don't know what the heaviness, the darkness, the suffering might be. Maybe it's just the exhaustion of the life God has put you in. Count it all joy. Because Christ is working in your heart. He's drawing you to Himself. And and listen to the rest of this, starting in verse 3. And let steadfastness have its full effect. In other words, you, you need to sit in this a while. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect. That means full, complete, complete, lacking nothing. And if you lack wisdom, ask of God who gives generously without reproach and it will be given. So in other words, in the middle of it, when you say, I can't do it, say, please, God. And God says, I'm right here. Absolutely. He may not take that away, but He will be the Savior. He will be the King. The true King. Not the King like all the other nations. The real, true King. And He may not give you the heaven that you've imagined in your mind, but He will take you all the way home to the true heaven. The place where He is. Because He's a true Savior who's preparing a true heaven. And He is the true King. We've got to think differently. We don't count it joy. We just tend to look for the escape. As we were coming back, we flew on a lot of airplanes, just for the record. Um, long airplanes, but I kind of chuckled. I started noticing it on the way coming back and and all three planes back, I I noticed it. This this fake, like almost religious ceremony we go through when the, the, the steward or stewardess walks up, the flight attendant walks up to the exit row and says, now you do know you're seated in an exit row, and the guy's saying, yes, I do, thank you very much. And, and you know you're going to have to assist us in the event of, a, of an emergency and help everyone out. And, <laughs> and all they're thinking is, leg room, leg room, leg room. And if there's an emergency, yes, they're going to assist. They're going to open that door and run so fast, and you can follow them, right? 
It's this, this false, fake ceremony we go through. And, and everybody, oh yes, I know I'm in an exit row. I know, I know all of this. But aren't we the same way? Oh, that trouble can't... I'm never getting cancer. That'll never be me. Oh, no, there, no, 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 no. This is, this is just a blessing from God. You know, I'm good. And then the first sign of trouble, we're not staying to help anybody else. We're out of that airplane. Get me out of here. How many of us have run from a job? Run from a friend? Run from a family member? Run from a church? Because we don't want to go through the trouble. We think we're praying to Santa Claus, not the God who created the universe. Do you remember what happened when Jesus, I'm, I'm pretty sure, by the way, he knows how to pray, right? Do you remember what happened when Jesus prayed? His prayer was, let this cup, this suffering, in other words, let this cup pass. Not my will, but your will be done. And do you know what God the Father's answer to that prayer of let this suffering pass was? It was to culminate all history to result in the most brutal beatings, false accusations, false convictions, humiliation, and eventual execution of Christ. So when we pray, let it pass God, Think how even the Father answered the Son. When Jim and Elizabeth Elliot prayed for the salvation of the Ecuadorian tribe to whom they were sent as missionaries, I doubt very seriously their prayers included a worry of getting killed by spear and eaten. But that's how God answered the prayer. Jim was speared along with his friends and eaten. And when Elizabeth Elliot, a godly, godly lady, highly recommend her books. They, you cannot miss these books. So good. But when Elizabeth Elliot later prayed for the forgiveness of the people who killed her husband, you know, somehow I doubt she was in her mind thinking that she would be the one to go. But that's how God answered the prayer. I doubt she thought God would put her face to face with the man who threw the spear that murdered her husband. And hear him asking her, can Jesus forgive me? I don't think that was in her prayers. Perhaps the greatest English speaking preacher ever to live cried and agonized in deep depression and begged God to lift the darkness in his mind. I doubt he meant lift the darkness when I step into that pulpit to preach. But that's the only time Christ lifted the darkness in Spurgeon's life. Thousands came to Christ through his preaching. And yet he was a deeply troubled, depressed man. Do you want Jesus, even if everything else falls apart, do you actually love the giver more than the gift? Or do you want a king like all the other nations? Let's finish. Verse 21, And when Samuel had heard the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. 
And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Go. Every man to his own city. In other words, go home. It's over. How many times do we miss out on the blessing of God because we stubbornly choose our way? How many times will we be put to the test only to see our faith fail once again? And how many times will we choose our way rather than the way of Jesus? How many times will we be consumed with getting out of suffering rather than learning to suffer well and love Jesus and look a little more like Him? How many times will you choose to ignore that call Christ has on your heart, drawing Him to you saying, I am the Savior? When will you enter into relationship with Him? In what could have been the highlight of the Old Testament, the King coming, the real King, Jesus the King, was promised from the beginning of time. It's eclipsed by this, this ravenous, this, this rabid desire to have things our way and get the King we want now to solve all the problems we've created in our own mind. Will you keep choosing yourself and wanting the king like all the other nations? Or will you lay it down and finally submit to King Jesus? He loves you and will give you more than you can ever imagine. Choose the real king. Yeah, suffer now. But choose the real king. Yes, you may be disappointed. You may not get to ever fulfill that desire, but choose the real king, even if it means seeing your plans crumble to pieces. Choose the better king. Otherwise, as we'll see in the rest of the books of First and Second Samuel, be very careful what you ask for. God may give it to you. Let's pray. Lord, this is a heavy sermon, and I know there are already heavy hearts. I pray that they weren't made heavier, but they were given a hope and a realization that it's just hard sometimes. We suffer sometimes. But Jesus, even now, as we come to our time of response, of singing, and, and particularly taking the Lord's Supper, what we're taking is a cup of suffering that you drank for us and a broken piece of bread symbolizing the body, your body that was broken for us. Jesus, you led the way into suffering and then you made the way by being righteous for us and dying for our sins. And so, Lord, we come in faith because we can't bear this burden alone. We can't suffer through this ourselves. We don't have it in us. But Jesus, You give us Your Spirit. You put Your Spirit inside of us can carry us all the way home. All the way to the true heaven and our true Savior. Thank You. Thank You for Your body, Your blood broken and poured out for us. Thank You that You have brought us together as a, as a family of faith. Thank You for the guest we have here with us as we get to worship You, King Jesus. God, may we truly choose You as our King. You are the awesome, almighty God who rules all. 
But may we recognize that now. Realizing the grass isn't greener on the other side, Lord. It's greener where you are. And that you'll lead us as a shepherd to pastures and fields of plenty. Where we take this cup and we take this bread in humble gratitude for your work for us. But also we proclaim in our hearts, despite what might be in our mind, despite what might be in our emotions, we proclaim by faith, by eating and drinking, you are our King and you are enough. It's because of you we pray, Jesus. Amen.